Would you turn with me this morning to the New Testament book of 1 Peter? I want to look at some verses there in chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. When we look at this part of this chapter, uh, we, we need to see the context, which in chapter 2 it's formed, where Peter is inspired of the Holy Spirit and is talking about submitting yourselves in verse 13 to ordinances of men. He's reviewing the fact of the Christians that we are to be uh, priests. Verse 9, that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people. How God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he goes on and he's talking about honoring men and and loving the brotherhood, fearing God, honoring the king. A lot of practical Christian merit here that we ought to do as a consequence of God's saving grace. Even the workforce in verse 18, notice servants. That's in our day uh, would be employees. Be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward and, and also to the government, he goes on. But, but remem- reminding us that it all is under the context of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Um, and he ends that saying in verse 24 in chapter 2, who his own self, that is Christ, bear our sins in his own body in the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. And living unto righteousness is our calling, and God gives us the ability to do that through the righteousness that was imputed in us in Jesus Christ. It's not our own, you see. It's Jesus's. But it's important that we see that God has called us to live in the context of his word. And we're going to be happier people because that's who God created us to be when we do. And uh, for we are a sheep going astray. And we all are prone to get off the the mark of God's word, but are now returning to the bishop uh, and shepherd of our souls. And then he starts in chapter 3, and that's what I want to use for our text. I'm going to use verses 1 through 7 as we look at that together this morning. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word... They also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now we're going to talk about walking with Jesus when you are a woman. That is our, that is our title today under the theme of a, a series I've been endeavoring to try to deal with of walking with Jesus. 
It is so important for a woman to walk with Jesus. And I want to say four things about that from this text. And it's, 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 and it's important because a woman is powerful. It's important because a woman is pretty. It's important because a woman, it makes her pure. And fifthly, or fourthly, it's important for a woman to walk with Jesus uh, because walking with Jesus is precious. It's precious. And it doesn't get any more precious than when a woman walks with Jesus. Now there's a lot of counts in the Bible we know where women walk with Jesus. The disciples, um, many of them were women that followed him. They were the most faithful. You remember Mary Magdalene. Uh, this is a woman that Jesus cast out seven devils. That woman never got over it. She followed Jesus. She was the first that saw him at the resurrection. You remember, thought he was a gardener. Uh, we, we have many other accounts of women in the Bible. Uh, Jesus, this woman committed adultery. And she walked with Jesus. And Jesus told her, go and sin no more. And even Rahab the harlot, we find from the Old Testament, Believe God. And that woman's name is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. So we see the, the understanding of that. And I want us to see that today. And, and I, I just want to say, especially to you ladies, no matter which age you are, how, how God has called you to, to take your rightful role in what God has called you to be, a woman. Now i got to tell you, we live in a culture that hates women. We do. We live in a culture that hates women and we live in a culture that hates babies. How do we know that? Because the feminist movement will say, they don't want you to be a woman. They don't want you to be a woman because that makes you less. I would say a woman today that, that wants to walk with Jesus and, and has that impression that she wants to be at home with her children and raise her children, the world will look that and tell Tell her that she's a failure. And then there's places in the, in the society, in the culture, in entertainment where uh, it's, it's pretty bland. And not only uh, for abortion, for kids, but also don't bring your children. So, so we're living in a culture that is vastly undermining the very fiber of the family. And they're doing it in the name of social justice. And what's happening, it's tearing the world apart. And we ought to see that, and may God help us to. But today I want to just talk about the women and how God has called us to do that. And, and I want you to see, and I hope you can with me, how powerful you are. Because a woman's influence, she controls the power sexually, she controls emotionally. Now she might not can, can, can bench press as much as the man, but I'm going to guarantee you that that woman is the heart. That woman is the fiber and the strength and the motivation of every man. She is. And, and how she does and how she acts and how she, she reacts is so powerful. And here we say, you know what? This woman is going to com, com, uh, uh, influence this man. Never says a word. Never says a word. Notice, that's my first point. Walk with Jesus, ladies. Because you are powerful. I don't think you understand the power you have. 
Don't let the world tell you how to dress. Don't let the, the, the world tell you how you're supposed to react. You look to God and he created you. She says, likewise ye wise, be in subjection to your own husbands. And that right there throws up a red flag to our culture. I mean, I don't want to be subjecting to anybody. You know, the world will say that a man and woman is equal. They are not equal. God did not make a man and a woman the same way. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to see what God did and how God impacts gender and what the importance of it is. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God says this, And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. Male and female created he them. Notice, women are created in the image of God just like a man. There's no difference spiritually in the equality. There's a difference in the role. And what God has called the woman to be subjection or submission to the man. That doesn't mean that any woman is to, is to stay in an abusive relationship with any man. You hear me? That is not to happen. Absolutely not. What we have here is an analogy of Christ in the church and that Christ is to be the head of the church and the man is to be the head of the wife and she is to be subjected to him. The role of a man is to be the leader and protector and provider. The role of the woman is to be the helper, the complementary, the support and that's how God created them. Now you can think that's old stuff if you want to, but that's how God made it and you're going to find that it works just the way it ought to be when we do it like we ought to. And we need to see that and may God help us because, because there's power in this submission. And it doesn't mean that you're a lesser person. Um, when you think about the Trinity, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says these three are one. Yet, we see the role of Jesus submitting to the Father. He says, Father, not my will, but thine be done. You remember that? Does that make Jesus less than the Father? It does not. But it's a difference in the role, you see. So there's a submissive role that, that just has so much power that, 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 that the woman has. And, and I just want to encourage you ladies to use what God has given you in this way because, you know, gender goes on into eternity. We will have our gender in eternity. Jesus is a man in heaven. Now, there won't be marriage, and when he says no male nor female, he's talking about in the context of reproduction and marriage. But in heaven, they will be females. They will be a female gender. They will be male genders. We'll carry that on. And we need to tell you, I don't know what the transgenders will do. I guess when God saves one by his grace, he's going to reverse it. He's going to have to. I mean, because that's what God says. He made them male and female. And so that God made them that way is how we need to see us. And we need to be submissive to that. And I'm going to tell you what it does to a man. It puts more responsibility on us as men, as leaders, to nurture the daughters of God that God has given us. If you have a wife, you need to see that lady as, as a gift from God. That's what God did to, Abraham, uh, to Adam. He brought her a woman. And so we need to see that and bless that and thank God for it. It's powerful. And I'm going to tell you something else, ladies. What you're doing 
has a generational power. Uh, a generational. Turn over to uh, 2 Timothy just a minute with me. 2 Timothy. And we see here the, uh, the call that Paul has to, uh, to the young preacher Timothy. Now here's what I want to say, and I'm going to read you the scriptures that should give you the strength. You women, once you teach your children, or let me say it like this, teach your children what you want your grandchildren to know. You hear me? Because that's the power of it. It says here, but thou, in verse 14, I'm in third chapter of 2 Timothy, if you want to look at the verses. But continue, that is, stay with it. Thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Now this is things that Timothy has learned and assured of, knowing of them of whom thou hast learned them. I imagine that most of us, any godly things that we've learned, we learn from our mothers. I would be willing to say that most people learning to read, you learn that from a woman, whether that's your mother or your teacher. That's a woman. That's the power of that woman because she took the time to, and the patience to deal with it. So here Paul is telling Timothy, you stay with what you've learned. And in verse 15, here's the generational light of power. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what a blessing to see that and, and to see, understand. And he goes on to say that you've learned that not only from your mother, but your grandmother. He tells Timothy that. So it's generational. And we need to see that and, and bless God in that and thank him for it. The power of the woman in teaching and the generational power that God gives us in our lives. It's such a blessing and such a wonderful way to rejoice in the Lord and his salvation. Uh, that Timothy learned that from a child. And he learned that from his grandmother and his mother, just generational, went on down. And we need to rejoice and bless God in that. So, so we see the power of, of a woman's understanding that and being submission. Because it says there from our text in 1 Timothy that her chaste conversation wins her husband. Now, I think for the most part in this context, those wives were married to believing husbands. But that may not be always the case. First Peter chapter 3, I'm going back to my text. And I want us to see, be in subjection to your own husband. If any obey not the word, see, that's why. Because they see, your, they see you react. They see your action. Now, here's, here's one way I want to I explain this. Now, I'm going to make this up. Uh, I want to be a better husband and father. And I know every guy in here does. But say, for example, I go, I come to, to go out in the church or doing my work or whatever, and I have a bad day, okay? I mean, I just have a bad day. And so I come home, and I come in the house, and I want everything just right. This is not me, really, though. <laughs> I'm making this up. I'm trying to get a point across. But I want it right. I want dinner on the table, 
and I want to be able to relax and be right. So I come in there expecting that because I've had a bad day, okay? And so I come in there and, and Penny is there and, and she, looks, she looks frustrated. She's, she looks, though she never does, but, but she looks that way and she's, she's had a bad day too. And I tell her what I expect. And, and she says, she just jumps on me and says, well, Randy, who do you think you are? You don't know what I've been doing today. You haven't been here with each other. You haven't done this and that. I'm going to tell you what it's going to result in. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, I mean, it's going to be a battle. That's what it's going to be. On the other hand, if I go in there with that same attitude, and I look at Penny and I say, Penny, I want this. I want, want, want. Why isn't this on the table? Why is the clothes? Why is all this? And she looks up at me and she says, Randy, our neighbor called me this morning. And she needed me to come over there and help her because she was sick. And I had to go to the pharmacy for her. And you know, that washing machine is broke again. And I'm so sorry. I haven't been able to do this. Please forgive me. I'll try to do better. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out to that barn somewhere and I'm going to hit my head up against it. I'm going to say, Randy, why do you do that? You hear what I'm saying? That's the power of a woman. You want, you want, you got to get your tongue out of the way, ladies. Let God do it, okay? You do it with your chase conversation. You do it by your reaction and your strength because that's the power. And I'm going to tell you something else about, about submission that I see in the woman's perspective as much as I can, and I really can't relate to a lot of it, because I know around my house, when it comes to dealing with children and dealing with issues of life that really matter, you know who has to say no? Penny does. See, a woman has to say no. You have to tell your children No. You have to tell the world no. You have to understand that no is not a dirty word. No is a complete sentence. And it doesn't have to be apologized for. You can say no. It doesn't matter if they say why and why can't. Just say no. What part of no don't you understand? Okay? Because God says no, because we need to know about a no. Because we need rules. And if you're going to raise children up thinking, they don't have to have any authority. That's where the world is today. I don't have to submit to anybody. I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's why we see these rioters in the streets and we see homes breaking up. And we see drugs and addictions and all kind of upside down life because there's never been any no's. But I'm going to tell you, God will tell you no. Most of God's commandments start with thou shalt not. And we don't need to question God. And you don't need to question a godly woman. You say no. She says no, and that's it. You ever had any mamas like that? No. No. Well, God says, no. 
There's power in that. Now, you know, we, it's not a sign of what this business is a mission. That is powerful. You know, I read a story where there were three men talking about, they had been to a church men's conference, and they were talking about their role. And, and so during the break, they were talking about how submission, how their wives did. One guy said, you know, my wife said she puts, she puts the table, uh, food on the table for me and said, when I get it's everything near. She never questions me. And the other guy said, well, you know, my wife just washes my clothes and hangs them up. And, and so, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. And the third guy said, well, guys, I got something you don't know. Said, my wife gets down on her hands and knees. And they said, what? Yes, they said, she said, he said, my wife gets down on her hands and knees. And they said, well, why does she do that? He says, because she's looking under her bed calling me to come out. <laughs> I believe that happens more than more than we need to know. That is the power of a woman, okay? Secondly, I want us to see that she is beautiful. She's pretty. Notice what God says. While they behold your chaste conversation. That is the influence of your actions, ladies. And then now, who's adorning in verse 3, that is, what is the focus? What is the focus of your life? Is it to be sensual, or is it to be elegant and to have dignity? Remember Proverbs 35 describes the beauty of a woman. says, strength and honor is her clothing. That's Proverbs 31.25. So Peter is saying, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of planting the hair are of wearing of gold, are of putting on of apparel. Now, he's not saying here, in my understanding, that you ought not to fix your hair or that you ought not to wear uh, jewelry or that you ought not to put on any makeup. You know, we hear people say, oh, women shouldn't wear any makeup. That's a sin. I don't believe that. That's what he's talking about. It probably would be a sin if some women didn't wear any makeup. <laughs> but anyway, when he's, the focus is don't make a big to-do of it. Don't flaunt it, okay? Don't try to dress where it's going to bring attention to your body. You got it? Here, here's a good way to notice that. I mean, I, 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 get, I, get a, I get a glimpse of that with my girls. And every so often, I see one of them in a prom dress. And I say, my girl's not supposed to wear dresses like that. No, I don't, there's good prom dresses, don't get me wrong. But, but it just says, how did they grow up so fast? Because see, a woman is beautiful. God has made her that way. God has made her to attract a man's eyes, his attention. you got to know that. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, when God brought Eve to Adam, Adam named her woman. And I believe he, woman come out of it because he said when he saw this beautiful woman, Adam said, whoa, man. 
I mean, that's how it, that's how it impacted him. So there's a, there's a, there's a beauty that, that a woman has that God has created you that way. But, but a good test would be, see, clothing, clothing is, um, is really the framework to show a lady's reflection in her face of God's glory. That's what clothing does. And so, if you're wearing clothing that brings more attention to your body than your face, then you need to change dresses, in my view. Because that's what God says. Look at, uh, look at 1 Timothy again. I think we were in 2 Timothy a while ago, but in 1 Timothy, there's some verses that deal with this too. In, verse, in chapter 2, of verse 9. In like manner, chapter 2, 1 Timothy, verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair, broader hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. Now we know in the Old Testament, many of the women, like Sarah, I mean, she was given jewelry. Rebecca, uh, when, when, when the, the servant Ish, uh, uh, went to get Eliezer, I think it's his name, went to get Isaac a wife, and when, what did they, they gave her? He sent pearls and jewelry. So, so there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not the focus, you see. Now that's what God's talking about, as I understand it. That is not to be the focus of a woman's beauty. But her beauty is her inward, her, her inside, her heart. That is the beauty. Because that beauty won't ever go out of style. That beauty will keep on radiating what God has created you to be in that way. Now again, from 1 Peter, we know that to wear makeup or to braid your hair, whatever, is not, is not a sin because he puts it in the same category as putting on of clothing. I mean, I mean, it's so that you, you would say, well, you got to put on clothing, surely. Well, see, again, that, that emphasizes that he's not talking about not doing it. He's talking about making it the focus. Making it something that's going to cause somebody to look at you in a way that will cause them to sin. And it can happen. You know, God says, Jesus says, when a man looks on a woman with lust, he has already committed a sin of adultery. Okay? You don't have to do the act. You can just look. So where does the look come from? So, so don't ladies... Put men in a position where you make them sin, okay? And so, so it's, it's important that we see this, but a woman is powerful. And she's powerful because she, she submits. And she submits to the Lord and her meek and white spirit. And she don't try to dress and flaunt herself physically. But she has a beauty that's more beautiful. I guess every husband would feel like this. But I know in my marriage, 
You know, if I, if I have a decision to make, or we have as a family decision, that's how it is. I'm going to talk to my wife about it. I'm going to talk to her about it. And if she doesn't like it, hear me now, there's a red flag going up for me. You hear me? Red flag. And it might be something I want to do, but if Penny doesn't like it, I mean, she'll tell me, I'll go to her with that, and because I'm not, the, you know, I need that. She's my greatest counselor, okay? And if she says no, then there's a red flag goes up immediately. And I say, well, I've got to pray about this, or I'm going to wait. And then if it comes to the point that a decision has to be made, then I'm to make it. I'm to make it because I'm the, I'm the head of the house. But if I'm wrong, and I am wrong sometimes, my wife doesn't come to me and flaunt it and just, just gloat over it. Or if I'm right, I don't go to her and say, well, you know, I told you. No, that's not how you do it. You, you work it out and you understand because you love it, but you see her, her beauty, you see her strength and influence. She is your helpmate. And ladies, that's what we're called to be. And then thirdly, the purity of a woman. And notice he says in verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible. That's purity. When you walk with Jesus, ladies, that is a cleansing. Doesn't mean you're not you're perfect and you never sin. What it means, though, when you confess your sins, God promises that He's just and free to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But purity is important. It's so important for a woman. Because she influences so many. Purity in mind, purity in dress, purity in heart. And that purity shows by a meek and quiet spirit. When you walk with Jesus, you walk like Jesus. Because he was meek. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a little baby donkey. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You don't have to get your way. We don't have to, to, to flaunt our rights. There's much more power and, and happiness and joy and, and role in, in a woman being having that purity. I mean, you know, can you ever see anybody blush lately? People don't blush anymore. And that's what sin does. Sin will kill purity. I mean, it's like anything goes. Any, any way you want to dress, any way you want to live. And I'm going to tell you, God is not pleased with that, and He's given us a Savior to cleanse us. He uses Sarah as, in a, as an example. Even as Sarah, wait a minute, verse 5, let me get that one. For after this manner in the old, the holy women also. I want you to look at this. Who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. These holy women 
were strong women. This is my last point, precious. This is so precious. They were strong women because I'm going to tell you about a woman that walks with Jesus. She knows what's coming. You ladies better know what's coming in this world we're living in. It's not going to be good. It's going to get uglier. But you know what's coming. And you're going to hold your family together. I know you are. Like these holy women of all, why did they do that? Because they trusted in God, their creator. They had the confidence that God was going to be with them. Whether that's in childbearing or whether that's in in living and, and trying to deal with a family. Because there's nothing that stretches the heart of a mama either more than her family. And when she sees them going astray or or the breaking things in the heart or they're hurt. Because she provides for them that comfort that no one else can do in the way she does it. And it's so precious. And I mentioned Sarah, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Calling him Lord. You know, God told Abraham to leave the heir of the Chaldees in Genesis 12. Took Sarah with him. He know where he was going. She went with him. She said, wherever you go, I'll go. Now, Sarah wasn't perfect. You remember, she, uh, she's the one that talked Abraham into uh, bringing Hagar, the handmaid, in. Let's have a baby by that handmaid, you know. She's the one, uh, uh, Sarah, that, that laughed when they told her she was going to have a child in her old age, and then she denied it later on in Genesis 18. And yet we see in Isaiah 51 that, that the Scripture says, Isaiah the prophet says, look into fa- your, your Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, your mother. So she's a good example. She wasn't a perfect woman, but she was a woman that feared God. And she tried to live in subjection to her husband. So it matters how we live. Whose daughters ye are. See the precious seven, verse six. As long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. See a woman that walks with you is not afraid. She is not afraid. She has confidence in God. She believes. You think about it in Scripture and you think about it in the church. You think about it in your life. You know the woman that, the person that believes in you is going to be a woman. The woman that, that's going to encourage you, a person is going to be a woman most of the time. That's why we need to pray. God give us godly women. You got a godly woman, you have a godly home. You got a godly home, you're going to have a godly church. You have a godly church, you have a godly state, a godly country. But without that, you know, I remember when I was going around, when we used to get out before the COVID, and we would eat out some, and, or I'd be going places, and I'd see, every now and then I'd see these beautiful young girls with tattoos all over their body. And, you know, I think, where is their daddy? Where is their mama? And it's so beautiful, and yet they've let the world talk them into to, to dressing up and putting on something to identify with what the world will applaud. 
And you know, you know, it goes on to say, and I'll try to close, Likewise, ye husband, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as the weak vessel, and as the heirs being together of the grace of life. We're in this together. That your prayers may not be not hindered. I'll tell you, one of my favorite songs, I tell my wife this all the time I hear. Alan Jackson sings a song called, When I Stroll Over Heaven With You. Well, I love that song. I can just visualize Penny and I in heaven. Now, I know we won't be married. But, I mean, that's the grace of life, to go through this life together. And you may be single, but don't be discouraged in that either. Because God is with you, okay? He is with you. How we need to, uh, to be husbands that would love our wives. And tell her we love her. See, I don't have to be told. Penny doesn't have to call me three times a day and say, Randy, you know I love you. If she did, I would be real concerned. But what breaks my heart is I don't tell her enough that I love her. Now, what I need is respect, and I need to earn that, and so do you guys. May the Lord bless us. To you ladies, I commend you. I just want you to be reminded, walk with Jesus. Because you are so powerful. Walk with Jesus because you are beautiful. Walk with Jesus because that walk will make you pure. And walk with Jesus because that is so precious. There's nothing more beautiful than a godly woman. You hear me? I'm going to tell you, my wife is beautiful in any dress. She is. So are you. That's what a godly woman is. Think on these things. God's not against beauty. Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are wonderful, true, just. Think on them. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you for the most precious blessings of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for women that stay women, that stick with being woman, for womanhood, for what it means to us men and what it means to you, to our children, our grandchildren. I pray that every woman in this room would be encouraged that you would give them the spirit of your grace, that you would give them boldness to be faithful witnesses in this world, that you would tune their hearts, O oh Lord, that they would be prompted to deal with that inner, that quiet spirit of grace and watch your power work in their lives, in their husbands, in their singleness, in their children, and in the grandchildren. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the church and for your precious word that gives us instructions on how we are rightly to do life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.